So why do scuba divers fall backwards into the water? Because if they fell forwards, they'd still be in the boat. See, the answers to some questions are really easier than we think. And like the question, what must happen before Christ returns to the earth? What must happen before that great coronation time that we looked at a couple weeks ago? What must happen? Well, last week Don mentioned one of the things that must happen before Christ returns, and that is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Let me just remind you what Jesus said here. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. So, The Great Commission must be fulfilled before Jesus comes back to the earth. And we're working very hard as a church to do our part in accomplishing that mission given to us by Jesus Christ. But there is something else that the Bible teaches that must happen before Christ returns. Now, what is that? Let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this to the believers in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, so he's talking about the Lord's coming, our gathering together to him, that is the rapture of the church. With regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the falling away of many of the faith, and what else must happen first, before that, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He's talking about the revealing of the Antichrist, who he calls the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, and the one who will set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped as God, displaying himself as being God. So very clearly here, Paul is correcting something that the Thessalonican believers, Thessalonians 
misunderstood. He's making sure they understand that that could not have happened. You could not have missed the return of the Lord or the rapture. You couldn't have missed it because we know that's not going to happen until something happens first. What's that? Apostasy, the fallen away, and the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, who's going to, he's going to be revealed. He's going to take his seat in the temple of God. There's going to be the abomination of desolation. Now, this is really important that the church understands this because it's very clear here that Christians will not be raptured before the Antichrist starts his reign of terror against Jews and Christians. Not only does Paul give us this chronology as clear as he could possibly state it, but Jesus gives us the exact same chronology in Matthew chapter 24. See, there are so many who will be disillusioned when that time happens because they have been taught they won't face any type of persecution, great persecution, or the time when the Antichrist comes, because they've been taught that they'll be raptured before any of that happens. Problem is, that's not what the Bible teaches. We just read what the Bible teaches. Today, I want to continue in the book of Daniel that we've been looking at the last few weeks. We looked at Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7. Now, I want us to look at Daniel chapter 9, where we are given what I'm going to call the chronology of the kingdom. We talked about the coronation of the king. We talked about the characteristics of the coming kingdom when Jesus comes again. But today we get to Daniel 9. We're going to talk about the chronology of the kingdom. Daniel chapter 9 one of the most amazing passages in the entire Bible gives us a specific timetable of the two comings of Christ, the two comings of Messiah. We're going to see in a moment that the first coming was prophesied to occur exactly 483 years to the day after the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that is recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. We're given the exact day, 483 years from the time of that decree to rebuild Jerusalem after it was destroyed in the Babylonian exile that we've studied here. We're going to see in a moment how that's laid out. But we're also given the same passage that the second coming of Christ will occur. His coming to the earth will occur seven years after the ruler to come, the Antichrist, makes a firm covenant with Israel. So let's read the whole passage, and then we're going to come and walk through it. Starting in Daniel 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed. We're going to see in a moment how this is clearly talking about weeks of years. So 70 times 7 years, 490 years. 
70 weeks have been decreed for your people, talking to Daniel, your people, the Jewish people. In your holy city, this is Jerusalem. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, till he comes to Jerusalem. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and we're going to see it again. These are weeks of years, so 69 weeks of years, seven times 69 it will be built again, Jerusalem. It will be built again because it was destroyed with plaza and moat, even in times of duress. Then, verse 26, after 62 weeks, after the seven weeks and the 60, now the 62 weeks, then the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he, before referring back to the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, and he will make a firm covenant with the many. Remember, he's talking about the Jewish people. For one week, again, we're going to see this is a week of years, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, it's clear that the weeks here I've mentioned a couple times that are talked about are not weeks of days, but weeks of years. Now, how do we know that? Well, the context makes it pretty obvious, but we also know that that last week that I'm saying is a week of years, that last seven-year period is referred to in other places in your Bible. Like in the book of Revelation, for example, chapter 11, where it talks about it being the middle of that seven, that week period being, the middle of it being three and a half years. It says years. The middle of that week is three and a half years. It also says in another place that the middle of that week is 1,260 days. Days. It also says in another place the middle of that week is 42 months. So clearly this is a week of years, seven years. If halfway through it is three and a half years, that means it's seven years. If halfway through it is 42 months, that means it's seven years. If halfway through it is 1,260 days, then that means it's seven years. So the weeks in this passage are weeks of years. That's important that we understand that. Now this passage is important for several reasons. Let me mention a couple. First, the fact that Jesus entered Jerusalem, he came into Jerusalem as Messiah on Palm 
Sunday. On the very day, the very specific day that was prophesied by Daniel. We're going to see in a moment. We're going to do the math. That he came in on Palm Sunday, the very exact day that Daniel prophesied he would come. Proving he is the Messiah, the Savior. Second thing here is the fact that there is a final week of years, a final seven-year period that is yet unfulfilled in Daniel's prophecy. And that seven-year period gives us a framework by which we can understand the events that happen in the end times, in the book of Revelation especially. Now, this final seven-year period is divided in half by something that happens called the abomination of desolation. Daniel prophesied it would happen. Apostle Paul, we just read about, says it happens. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, refers to the book of Daniel and says that when that happens, he says when that happens, when the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God, Jesus says at that time, a great tribulation will begin. There's been nothing like it in the past. There'll be nothing like it in the future. So Jesus calls that last three and a half year period of that seven years, Jesus calls it the great tribulation. By the way, the seven year period is never called the tribulation in the, in the Bible. I know it's popular. There's been books and movies made about it. It's never called that in the Bible. The last three and a half years of that seven-year period is called the Great Tribulation by Jesus. Now, let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 because I want you to know the context of what's happening here. The context is that Daniel is considering the prophecy that was made by Jeremiah, who prophesied before Daniel. Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 25 and chapter 29 that there would be a 70-year period that Judah would be in captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied it. Well, Daniel is there. Daniel was part of the captivity as a young man. Daniel's grown up there in Babylon, and then, of course, as the Persians overcame the Babylonians, he's still there. So Daniel starts doing the math, and Daniel realizes, wait a second, it is now 539 B.C. We came in captivity in 605 B.C. That means... The 70-year period is over in four years. Daniel is realizing this. So Daniel begins to pray in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 3 through verse 19. We're not going to look at the prayer, but you can look at it on your own. Daniel begins to pray for the Lord to forgive Israel for her sins, that they might, this, the captivity might end and they might be restored. He's praying that. As he finishes his prayer, the angel Gabriel shows up and then tells Daniel about the future, what's about to happen. So what we read in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 comes from the angel Gabriel. So let me just break that down, those four verses. In verse 24, we're going to see that it talks about the whole prophecy. The whole prophecy is presented in verse 24. 400 and 90 years. 
In verse 25, the first 69 weeks of years, 483 years, is described what happens. We get to verse 26. We find out we're going to hear about what happens between the end of the 69th week of years and the beginning of the 70th week. There's a gap. We know exactly when the 69 weeks of years ends, 483 years ends. We know exactly when. But we also know exactly when the 70th week starts, that last seven-year period. We know exactly when. It tells us in verse 26 what happens in between. And then we get to verse 27. It tells us about that last seven-year period, what happens. So let's walk through it. First of all, the whole prophecy in verse 24. Daniel 9, 24 says, 70 weeks, and remember these are weeks of years, have been decreed for your people, the Jewish people, in your holy city, Jerusalem, to, f- to do six things. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So this prophecy encompasses 490 years. You know, another important note, and I've said it a couple times, remember, he's talking about the Jewish people, he's talking about Jerusalem. And he says that this prophecy will end when these six things happen. When Jesus comes again at the end of this prophecy to the earth, these six things will happen. What are the six things? First one, to finish the transgression. Israel's course of apostasy and sin and wandering over the face of the earth is brought to an end, a completion, at the end of that 77s, the end of that last seven-year period. There will be a restoration of Israel, which Daniel's praying for. And ultimately, it's going to be the, that's all going to happen at the end of that last seven-year period, that's the end of the 70 weeks, to finish the transgression. Also, second thing, to make an end of sin. The end of the 70th week, when Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to bring an end to Israel's previous transgressions. He's going to bring their sin into judgment. And then he's going to pronounce forgiveness through his atoning work on the cross. A third thing. He's going to make atonement to make atonement for iniquity. Now, of course, we know the basic provision for atonement is made on the cross of Christ. But the actual application again, is associated with the second coming of Christ as far as Israel's concerned. Zechariah talked about this. Let me just read this passage where Zechariah prophesied. Zechariah 12, verse 9, 10, and 13, verse 1. He says, It'll come about in that day that I'll set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I'll pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me. This is when Christ is returning. They will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they'll weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, Jesus is returning now. In that day, a fountain will be opened up for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. There's a fourth thing that will happen at the end of this prophecy when Jesus comes again. That is bring in everlasting righteousness. 
Now, there's many messianic passages in the Bible that really are, you know, view the righteousness that is applied to the earth when Christ returns. But let me just read one of them to you. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. There's a fifth thing that will happen at the end of these 70 weeks, the end of that last seven-year period, Jesus comes again. And that is to seal up vision and prophecy. Probably best understood as the termination of direct revelation by means of vision and prophecy. And this expression, by the way, seal up, indicates there's no more to be added. That would, all that was predicted Predicted will receive its divine confirmation and recognition now in the form of its actual fulfillment. He's come to the earth and set up his kingdom. And one more thing he says in verse 24 will happen when Jesus comes again, and that is anoint the most holy place. Anoint the most holy place. Jesus himself will stand on Temple Mount, and he himself will anoint the holy place. So all six of these things happen at the second coming of the Messiah, of Christ. This is the important conclusion from the prophecy that Jesus Christ, of course, tells us clearly he is going to return at the end of those 70 weeks, that last seven-year period, he comes to the earth. Very clear. Okay. Now, what happens after the 69 weeks? What happens exactly to the day after 483 years, after that decree was made in in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1? What happens? Let's just read the passage again. Matthew 9, 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. After seven weeks, he points out, it will be built again Jerusalem with plaza and moat even in times of distress. So notice, first of all, when does the clock start ticking on this prophecy? We know exactly when it starts ticking. At the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that was destroyed when the when the Judah was taken into captivity to Babylon, it was destroyed. Okay, there's a decree in Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, to rebuild it. The command was given by King Artaxerxes of Babylon. Let's read it. Nehemiah chapter two, verse one. I just read you the date of it. It came about in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes. The month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, when the day of a month is not given in the Jewish chronologies, it can be assumed it was the first, the first day of the month was meant. Let's just take the first of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes of Babylon. We know exactly when that was. That was March 14th, 445 B.C. We can know the exact day. March 14th, 445 B.C. So after seven weeks of years, or after 49 years from that date, the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt, it was prophesied. And it would be under duress, which is exactly what we read in the book of Nehemiah. It was under duress that it was being rebuilt. 
And then there's 62 more weeks of years for a total of 69 weeks of years, or let's just say 483 years, Messiah would come. So let's do a little math. It's important that we do our math correctly. How long was a year in the Bible? Well, according to Genesis chapter 7, Genesis chapter 8, Revelation 12, a year in the Bible is 360 days. So the Bible used a simple calendar of 360 days a year. All right, so now we do a little math. This isn't really hard math. We take 69 weeks of years, or 483 years, multiply by 360 days a year, and we get 173,880 days. Now, if we add 173,880 days to March 14th, 445 B.C., we come to April 6th, 32 A.D. April 6, 32 A.D. is the day of Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Now, this calculation, by the way, has been verified by many unbiased sources, including the British Royal Observatory of Greenwich, England. Messiah was predicted to come exactly 173,880 days after the command on Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. This entire prophecy is focused on, of course, the Jews in Jerusalem. Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem. So when did he come? When did Jesus, as Messiah, come into Jerusalem? Well, Zechariah tells us. Zechariah 9.9 predicted the manner in which he would come. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. And by the way, we also can go do this another way. In 32 AD, Passover fell on April 11th, which exactly lines up exactly, making April 6th the Sunday before the Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on a donkey claiming to be the Messiah. And many, he had many, Jesus had many faithful followers who recognized him, proclaimed him to be the Messiah. Of course, the leaders of Israel did not, and as a nation, as a whole, they, did, they rejected him. That is why before Jesus enters the city, he looked up and wept. Here's what he weeps about, Luke 19.42. On that, he, Jesus says this. He's weeping over Jerusalem. He says, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. Notice that Jesus refers to a specific day. If you'd have known on this day, the very day that Daniel prophesied it would happen. Then Jesus goes on to predict the destruction of Jerusalem in verse 43, saying, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's read it, Luke 19, 43, 44. For the day shall come upon you 
when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Daniel's prophecy is the only prophecy that pinpoints the exact time of Messiah's coming, when Christ first comes. Again, it's important to understand this prophecy was written 535 B.C. In the 17th century, a very learned Jew published a book in which he set forth the claims that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah. And in the preface of the book, he told, he told how he himself had been convert, converted by listening to a debate between a knowledgeable Jew and a Christian convert from Judaism over the meaning of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And the moderator of this debate was a very learned rabbi. And as a Christian, the, the Jewish man who became a believer in Christ, as he pressed his claims on the passage during the debate, making it more and more clear that this had to refer to Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, that the rabbi who was the moderator of the debate said this, let us shut up our books, for if we go on examining the prophecy, we shall all become Christians. I stopped it. He stopped it. This one passage, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, has radically converted many Orthodox Jews to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. By the way, even today, a lot of groups evangelistically, that is what they are doing in Israel today, these days, is they are, their evangelistic approach is to, is to go over in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. That is their whole evangelistic approach, to go back to the passage that all Jews believe is the word of God and then show from that passage that that is Jesus fulfilling it. So that's what happens at the end of 483 years is Palm Sunday. He comes to Jerusalem. Jesus comes. So that ends the 69 weeks of years, 483 years. To the day. Now we know when the last week of year starts, and the Antichrist sets himself, I mean, he makes a covenant with Israel for their protection. So now we have a gap. So what happens between the end of that 483 years to the day until Antichrist comes? We're told that in verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, there are the seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks altogether, the Messiah, remember this Messiah who came on that exact day, the Messiah after that will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, this is Antichrist, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So the first 69 weeks of years 
We have the coming of Messiah Jerusalem. After 483 years, on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. What happens after that? What happens after that is Messiah is cut off. The word cut off here, used other places, is translated. Genesis 9, verse 11, Deuteronomy 20, 20, Jeremiah 11, 19, Psalm 37, 9. It's translated to kill, to destroy. So after he comes in Palm Sunday, we're told after that, end of that, he's killed. But not for himself. He is the sacrificial lamb of God, sent, of course, to take away the sins of the world. He didn't die for himself. He died for others, for us. So all this happens, but not only that, he says this. After that, the prince, the people of the prince to come will destroy the city of Jerusalem. We know in 70 A.D., the Roman legions filled with Arabs, Syrians, and Egyptians destroyed the temple. Even though General Titus was trying to stop them, he, it says, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says, quoting General Titus, saying, I tried to stop them, but I couldn't because of their, hate, their hatred of the Jews was so much. See, a lot of people think, think the Antichrist is going to be from the Roman Empire because the Roman legions destroyed Jerusalem. It says the prince of the people, you know, the, you know, the, peop the people of the prince to come. But those Roman legions did not have Europeans in them. We know from, from history, those, those Roman legions, there was not enough Europeans for all the Roman Empire to have Ro Roman citizens or Europeans in them. They had those Roman legions filled with Arabs, Syrians, and Egyptians. And the people of the prince to come, that is them. The prince to come will come out of that people. All those people groups today are Muslims. That's another reason why, reason why I'm convinced that the Antichrist will be a Muslim. So again, we have this confirmation that Jesus is Messiah. The Messiah came exactly after 483 years. He's cut off. The temple later is destroyed, as Jesus prophesied it would be. And so that we have those events. And now we still are waiting for the beginning of the 70th week. So the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed, 70 AD. Jewish people are scattered, dispersed throughout the earth for 1,900 years. In 1948, they come back as a nation. In 1967, they regain Jerusalem. And now the stage is set. For the seven, last seven-year period to some start in the near future. Let's read about it. The final period, 70th week, described in verse 27. And he, this is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many the Jewish people in this context for one week, for one seven-year period. In the middle of that seven-year period, week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on those who make desolate. The he is the ruler of the last verse, future ruler, that's the Antichrist. He makes a firm covenant with Israel. And then in the middle of that seven-year period, he's going to break it. He's going to cause the sacrifice and grain offerings to cease. Now, the fulfillment of this prophecy means a reactivation of the Mosaic sacrificial system on Temple Mount in Jerusalem. 
He can't stop the sacrifices at the temple if there's not a temple. That's an operation, doing the sacrificial system. But he's going to come. He's going to stop it. Probably, likely, we know from the book of Revelation, probably the false prophet actually carries out this order to stop the sacrificial system of the Jews. And then he, false prophet, sets up the abomination of desolation, an image of the Antichrist that must be worshipped. That's all talked about in Revelation 13, 14, and 15. But Jesus warns about this time. Matthew 24, verse 15 through 21. He says to the Jews, when you see this happen, when you see this happen, here's what you ought to do. Matthew 24, starting verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. For then there will be a great tribulation unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never be to be equaled again. So Jesus says, when you see that happen, don't, don't hesitate. Get out of there. Because after that point, the Antichrist will have authority to persecute all those who resist him. This is an amazing prophecy. Messiah is cut off after the 69th week of years, after 483 years. He's killed. But somehow, he's alive and comes back at the end of the 70th week of years, at the end of that seven-year period. He's killed, and then he's somehow alive. Well, how's he alive? Well, we know he's resurrected from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He's waiting to come back to the earth at the end of that seven-year period to set up his kingdom. Revelation 19 shows us that when he comes, he destroys the Antichrist and the false prophet, throws him in the lake of fire, destroys all his enemies, and sets up his kingdom. Here's what I want you to understand. All this prophecy that was given up to this point happened exactly as it was said. Exactly. To the day And that seven-year period that's still to come will also happen exactly as it's written. It'll be filled exactly as it was said. Just as sure as that after 49 years, Jerusalem was rebuilt, and after 483 years, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem to the day. And just as sure as after that, he's killed. And after that, you know, the... uh, uh, the Roman legions come in and destroy Jerusalem in the same exact way. At the end of that seven-year period, that yet future, Jesus will come to the earth. It's really going to happen. So we are, what do we do? We are to gather strength and perspective from this truth. We are to make priority decisions based on the reality of this truth. We're to share the gospel with a, with a certain type of you know, passion and urgency because of this truth. And I think one more thing, we're to prepare our minds and hearts that very, it is very likely that in our lifetime, many of us in this room will encounter that last seven-year period. And we need to be braced and ready to persevere and endure no matter what difficulty comes. I want to invite us to stand as we close.
we're going to close to a song that actually we're going to be led by, not our worship team, this closing song, but by some Marines. It's going to be on video. We're singing about the days of Elijah coming. These are American Marine soldiers who believed in Jesus and are looking forward to his return. But as we close this song, some of you are you know, out there, this would be a good time just to say, you know, I, I need to deny myself and give myself fully to Christ now. And if that's you, maybe you've never done that before. Remember, you never really denied yourself and given yourself fully to Christ as your Savior and the Lord of your life. Then during this closing song, I invite you to come down the front and we just want to pray for you. Some of you say, well, I made that decision, but you know what? I'm not living like it. And I'm, I'm coming back to deny myself and living with a soberness that I fully give myself to Christ. This would be a great song to do that too. So come down and we're going to close by praying for you. But I want to close. I want us to sing this song with these uh, Marines first before I close in prayer. And you guys kind of, you got to get into this song now. All right, because they're into it. So at least tap your foot or something, you know. You know, clap your hands, do something, but get into this song. Let's go ahead and show it. As I close in prayer, just if, if you need prayers, please come down the front in just a moment. But also, I want someone to pray for you as you just give yourself fully to Christ. There will be some people down front. Lord, we long for this last period of time to come. We long for you to come. Lord Jesus, we pray you would strengthen your people, strengthen your church in these days, that we would be those, Lord, who this would be our finest hour as your people, Lord, as we stand true to you and fulfill our ministry and calling. In Jesus' name we pray.